Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Let the mountain maker come and take his place. Let the ocean in our hearts be still and wait for the coming of our King, for the atmosphere he brings. Let his majesty shine and be lifted on high. And with
right, so hey, before we begin with uh, today's message, I just want to take an opportunity to uh, recognize some very important people that might be here today. One of the things that I love about the Vine Church is that we have some people who have served in our military, and uh, this is Veterans Day weekend, and so we're going to take the opportunity today to celebrate any of the veterans that are here that allow us uh, to live in a free country and to worship our God freely. So if you're a veteran of our military, would you stand up and let us recognize you and honor you? Or if you are actively involved in our military, we would love for you to stand up as well. So I know there's some of those as well. So hold on, y'all, st- y'all keep standing. Y'all keep standing. Um, I think we can point out who, who is a veteran and who is still active. Just wanted to point that out. Y'all can be seated. So um, we thank y'all because uh, we wouldn't be here in the country without you guys and we wouldn't be able to worship freely without you guys. So thank you so much for that. Um, we have been, if you're just joining us um, today or if this is your first time, we've been in a series called Ruach. Everybody say Ruach. That's a Hebrew word that, uh, that literally translated could be wind, breath, or spirit. And it's used in the Old Testament of the Bible uh, to, to reference the spirit of God. And so we've been in this series called um, Ruach to talk about the spirit of God and to talk about how important the spirit of God is for us to experience life that God designed for us and God desires for us. In fact, I would argue that if a person is, is missing out on this abundant life, this full life, this life that God designed and desires for us, it could be very well that we're missing out on the Holy Spirit's activity and role in our life. And so this series has been designed so that you and I and that us together as a church could experience all that God has for us. Um, and, and if you haven't been with us, we're, we're kind of too far into the series to recap everything. And so I just want to point you back to our online service. All of the weeks of this service and the teachings are available online, and we encourage you to check those out. Today, we're going to talk about um, kind of the last reference that Jesus personally made to the Holy Spirit and how important that is for us and how powerful that can be in our lives. Before we get to that, um, I want to take you back a couple of weeks in my life. Um, I actually shared this with you all a couple of weeks ago, but Liz, um, about a, uh, a little over a month ago now, was involved in a car accident. It was a Tuesday afternoon um, where she and my two youngest kids, uh, Carly and Cade, um, were, had left the house to go to Cade's soccer practice. Um, it was a little bit rainy and drizzly, um, so the conditions weren't great. She left the house. She was going down um, Highway 211, and, um, and she got in an accident. She calls me, and um, I wasn't expecting her to call me, but we have a rule like, hey, if if we call each other, you answer the phone. Um, if anybody else calls, you can screen it. But if we call each other, um, you answer the phone. So I picked up the phone. It was about six o'clock. And um, she said, hey, I don't want to alarm you, but I got in an accident. And just so you know, everybody's fine. So that was like the best thing that a spouse can say or a family member could say or a friend when they're calling to announce that they've been in a car accident. The next best thing that you can announce is that it wasn't your fault. And so that's what Liz did. She was like, hey, everybody's fine. And it wasn't my fault. And I was like, praise the Lord. Um, double praise the Lord. So, um, so she's like, but I need you to come and get me. And so um, I got in the car. I drove down to 11, came up on the accident. And it was very clear that there was three cars that were involved in the accident. Uh, one of those was Liz's, Liz's minivan. And so I pull up behind the minivan. And um, Liz and the kids are out there. And so I go to Liz and she just starts to tell me what happened. And she told me that she was driving down 211. There was a woman, she was approaching a crossroads of a a road called Mulberry Road and Covered Bridge Road. It's pretty dangerous crossroads. We've seen a number of accidents that are over the years there. And um, 
She was approaching, and this woman was crossing from Mulberry to Covered Bridge, um, but probably shouldn't have crossed. And then she kind of hesitated in, in going across, and Liz just hit her right in the side. And when Liz told me that she hit her in the side, even though Liz said that it wasn't her fault, I immediately thought, oh my gosh, that's her fault. So, um, so she hit her, and then that car spun and hit, a, hit another car who wasn't active in that. And so I felt bad for that guy. Um, but everybody was fine, eight people, and everybody's fine. So I get Liz's testimony of the accident. And then, um, and then I go to my kids, Carly and Cade, and, um, and they tell me their accident. And it's, it's, I mean, it's the exact same details, except they had a little bit different of personal experience. Cade was like, I just closed my eyes. And I was like, that was a good call, man. Close your eyes. And Carly was like, I watched the whole thing. I was like, that freaks me out. But anyway, like, you know, so like, <laughs> she watched the whole thing. So, um, so they gave me their account of the story. Then I went to the third guy who was not an active participant. And I was just felt bad for him because I walked up and the guy was like, your car's probably totaled. And he's like, it's paid off. You know, I was like, man, it wasn't even your fault. Like you had no involvement in it except for you were just there. And so I talked with him and I was like, hey, so what happened? And he was like, well, I was sitting there waiting. She was across the street and um, your wife, I, you know, saw, saw the van coming. The woman shouldn't have gone and she actually hesitated. And so she, he actually said the same thing that she hesitated that Liz said um, about her crossing the road. And I was like, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. Liz said that it was the woman's fault. The kid said, this woman came crossing, and he said she hesitated. And then um, we go back to the car, and we're moving things in and out, and the sheriff comes up, and he's like, here's the case number, and three days will be available for your auto insurance. That's how Winder police talk, by the way. And um, I thought that was funny. Anyway, so, like, <laughs> so and I was like, hey, what is the, what is the police report going to write? And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, who's at fault? And he goes, oh, it was that woman's fault. And I was like, Jesus. I mean, not, not that it was her fault, but just that it wasn't Liz's fault, you know? And like, I was freaking out. But, but what I got from that was five people who, independent of each other, five people who saw the same accident from their various perspectives, their personal perspectives, and they all gave me an account of what happened to where I could put the evidence together for myself and to say, yep, there was an accident. Liz was involved in the accident. Three cars were involved in the accident. Eight people were involved in the accident and it wasn't Liz's fault. Thank you, Jesus. You know, like I could put that together. Um, and when it comes to our faith, listen, when it comes to our faith, there are eyewitnesses to an event, an event that changed the world to where when we take their testimony and we put their testimonies together, then we can take the evidence that we have, and based on the evidence and their testimonies, then we can walk away and we can go, hey, you know what? There was this guy. His name was Jesus. He was a historical man. We believe that he was God in the flesh because of what he said about himself, what others said about him, and what has happened for 2,000 years. We believe that he lived a sinless life. We believe that he died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. We believe that he came back from the dead, which separates him from all religious leaders and separates Christ followers from all other religious people in the world. And we believe, we believe that through his life, death, and resurrection, then we have, we have an opportunity to live eternally and that eternally life begins now, begins the moment we trust in Jesus. And we have that uh, through the testimony of eyewitnesses in the Bible. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the, it's broken up into an old part, an old uh, covenant or Old Testament and a new covenant, uh, a new um, testament. And, um, and the first four books of the, the New Testament are eyewitness accounts 
or direct witness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And so the first one is from this guy named Matthew. And before Matthew became a follower of Jesus, he was a tax collector. And so he writes this very detailed account of Jesus's life, primarily to a Jewish audience. Uh, There was a guy named Mark who came along, and we don't know a whole lot about Mark's life, but what we do know is that he wrote the shortest account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, and I really appreciate that. Mark was like a headline guy, and so his gospel just moves fast paced. I'm a headline guy, okay? And most guys are actually headline guys. And so it gets us in trouble, like when Liz, uh, I go to share information, like somebody in our church just had a baby, you know, and she's like, oh, what time was the baby born? I was like, I don't know. And she's like, well, how much did the baby weigh? I'm like, I don't know. How much, how long was the baby? I, I don't know. Is the baby a boy or a girl? I don't know. I just know that a baby was born, right? Like headlines. So he's the headline guy. He gives us a quick, fast-paced account of Jesus's life. And then there's this guy named John. And we've been talking, if you've been with us, about John's account. John was Jesus's best friend. And so he gives the, the account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection from a best friend perspective. And then there's this other guy named Luke. And Luke was a physician. He was a doctor by trade. And he actually says at the beginning of his account that he wants to give a very precise account as you would imagine a doctor doing. And so there are like these great details that are in his account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And, and, and we've got these four, these four witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection but there's actually a fifth witness that, that, that not many people talk about. And that fifth witness is you. That fifth witness is you. I talked to four witnesses at, at the accident scene, but the fifth witness was me. There are four witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection that, that wrote down an account about Jesus, but the fifth witness is you. And so the question that we start with is, are you an active witness for what God is doing in your life or what God has done in your life, primarily the work of Jesus? Because what we're going to discover today is that that if we want to live the life that God designed and God desires for us, then we need to be active participants with God's spirit to be witnesses and to testify to what we have experienced with God. And so if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I wanna invite you to go with me to the book of Acts. If you've been following along with ruachtvc.org, we've got our Ruach series kind of planned together. We've got um, prayer focus. We've got a fasting guide. We've got a scripture outline. You know that we've been reading through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is actually a sequel to Luke's gospel or Luke's account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It's kind of the end of Jesus's ministry and the beginning of the ministry of his immediate followers after Jesus left. And, and so we have this like sequel effect to the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke, um, and, and it's called the book of Acts. And what we discover is that Jesus, right before he goes back to heaven, now if you're, this is your first time in church, so just kind of... I um, want to unpack something for you that might sound a little crazy. Okay, so uh, based on eyewitness accounts, we believe certain things about Jesus. We believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And um, we believe that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. Uh, historical things like dying on the cross. Historical things like coming back from the dead. But we also believe what Jesus said. And Jesus said that he was going to return to heaven and then he was going to come back one day. So we kind of believe that. So before Jesus goes back to heaven, um, he has these last few moments with his immediate followers, those that were closest to him, and he gives them this last kind of teaching on the Holy Spirit, on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And, and so last week we looked at the very first thing Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was helper. This week, what we discover is the last thing that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, which should be important to us. And for us to experience the life that God has for us, we need to know what that is. And so Jesus says this in verse eight of Acts chapter one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, in the very last thing that he says, we, we know this is the last thing because look, in verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Poof, he's gone. Last thing that Jesus says to his followers is about the Holy Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit will be power. Everybody say power. I love this word power. It comes from a Greek word, dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. Dunamis, if you write it out, it looks like a word that we have in our English called dynamite. It is actually the root word that we get dynamite. And so when, when Jesus is talking and his very last thing that he says to his followers and the very last thing that he teaches about the Holy Spirit is that it is like dynamite inside of us. And dynamite is meant to be ignited and it's meant to explode, to ignite and to explode, to ignite and to explode. It, it, it is meant to be something that is not contained. And, and so what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, he's, he's helper and all the helper stuff, is that the Holy Spirit's also power not to be contained. And yet one of the things that I think we could all agree with is that one of the things that is contained is our sharing of what Jesus has done in our life. Statistically, we know that only about 2% of Christ followers in any given calendar year in contemporary Christianity will actually actively share their faith with someone else. And yet Jesus's last words and Jesus's last words about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit brings a power that is not contained and cannot be contained. And it's it's meant to explode out of us. And what's meant to explode out of us, but our very witness. And a witness, as we've already talked about, is somebody that just testifies to their experience. And so for the remainder of our time today, what I want to talk about is how the Holy Spirit gives us the power to testify about what we have experienced with God. And if you are a person who has experienced God personally by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, then your life is meant to be a testimony. You are meant to testify, to witness to your experience. And so we have the power to testify in two ways. The first way is this. We have the power to share what we've experienced. We have the power to share what we have experienced. Now, a lot of people think when it comes to sharing their faith that you've got to have this, a bunch of knowledge. You've got to know more than you know. You've got to take some class on sharing your faith. You've got to go through a certain number of Bible studies before you've graduated to a point where you can share your faith. You've got to be a pastor on a platform. You've got to be a small... And, and so we, we use all kinds of excuses for more knowledge as a reason not to testify. You don't have to know everything. We say this a lot. You don't have to know everything. Just share what you know. And you can share what you know through what you've experienced. You know, when I showed up on that accident scene, it was funny because Liz didn't say, hey, I was going 55 miles per hour. And when I approached a certain distance from the crossroads, the woman crossed the path going a certain mile per hour. 
I put on my brakes, applied it, and the laws of physics, I slowed down by this much before I created impact at a force of X, Y, Z that then spun out the car and hit this car at a force and an impact of that. She didn't go into all kinds of like depth of knowledge about what she experienced. She just told me what she experienced. Yesterday, Brayden, my 12-year-old son, played in the Gwinnett County Football Championship. Come on, y'all. Yeah. And they won. Yeah. And they beat Buford. That should get the loudest applause. <laughs> Just kidding. If you go to Buford or you teach at Buford, we love you. Just not as much as we love the Hawks. Anyway, so, so they won yesterday. Um, no, I, I could tell you plays that happened. And I, I, but I couldn't tell you the formation, the lineup. I could just tell you Braden was the pulling guard on this and he sealed a block and that running back got out there or that running back blocked for the other running back and you could hear the crack up in the stands and it was awesome and it broke him for a touchdown. I could tell you that Braden went in on a play at about the six-yard line um, in the package that, that he normally is not in from a, from a play formation stand. Uh, and they ran right behind him and parted the Red Sea, and, and the guy scores a touchdown. I can tell you about how he was defensive end. I couldn't tell you whether he was supposed to sit with I just know he held the edge, and the linebackers came in. I could tell you that. Gus could tell you that. Bailey could tell you that. Braden could tell you that. You know, Liz could tell you that. Laney, I think, could tell you that. Um, Abby, who was spending the night at our house last night, I think she could tell you that. My two youngest kids probably couldn't tell you that. But we could all tell you what we experienced. We couldn't tell you the play formation. We couldn't tell you what Braden was supposed to be doing. But we could all tell you what happened and what the outcome was. A witness is a person who shares what they know. You are not responsible to share what you don't know. That, uh, that doesn't excuse us from learning more and for gaining more knowledge. And as we gain more knowledge, as we learned last week, the Holy Spirit will help you by reminding you of what Jesus taught you. So as you grow in your knowledge of God and as you know, grow in your knowledge of salvation, the Holy Spirit will remind you of all that Jesus has taught you so that in those moments when you're sharing your faith because you've got the power of God inside you that cannot be contained and you're stepping out in faith in a moment, there's going to be certain scriptures that come to your mind. There's going to be certain like points that come to your mind. It might even be that Jesus reminds you of how to lead a person in prayer to step across that star line of faith. You just need to share what you know. You just need to share what you know. And, and you don't have to worry about convincing or convicting anybody. You don't have to make a person feel guilty. You don't need to make a person like feel shame. You just need to share what you know. And, and God will do the internal work to get them to a place where they are convinced that they want to experience that for themselves. It, Jesus is not a sales pitch. I mean, I've heard people go, you should just give Jesus a try. Like, like Jesus is some product and that that's a sales pitch. That's not our work. Our work is just to be power, powerful witnesses, people who share what they've experienced. And then what we know through Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is the person who convicts. The Holy Spirit is the person who convinces that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the only way into a relationship with the Father. That's the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you in those moments of proclamation where maybe it's not the context that you were thinking of. It's not a 
small group setting. It's not a Sunday morning post-service conversation where you feel like maybe you should share your faith in other places. Where you get a prompt, you just kind of get that stirring in your gut. That's kind of how it works with me. Where I'm in a conversation and I just kind of get this like feeling stirring. It makes me a little nervous, to be honest with you. I'm just being honest. A little nervous where I like, feel like I'm about, I need to share the gospel or I need to, to share an opportunity for a person to come to faith in Jesus. I remember meeting with a guy named Chris at Frontera. We were having, um, we were having a meal together over lunch and I just felt like, Holy Spirit was telling me to like give him a clear gospel presentation and then to ask him if he wanted to take a step of faith and to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life. And right there over fajitas, he gave his life to Jesus. That's the best way to give your life to Jesus. I, I remember um, being at a place called Dominic's. It was an Italian restaurant. And I was meeting with another guy and I'd met with this guy for like, like, like months and we'd talk spiritual things. We had already talked about the gospel. And I, and I was like low pressure. Like I didn't want to put pressure on him. It wasn't a sales pitch. But I just felt like, like the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, David, you need to share about your commitment to Jesus. And you need to ask him if he's ready to commit his life to Jesus. And so I did. I shared with him what the Holy Spirit prompted me about my experience with Jesus. And asked him if he wanted to give his life to Jesus. And he did. He did, right there at Dominic's, right over there, bread, which, man, I miss bread so much. It was good bread. Um, there's a good chance for you out to a meal with me that you're going to give your life to Jesus, okay? All right? Like, <laughs> even if you already have, no, I'm just kidding. But, but it is, you, the Holy Spirit will just prompt you in situations because there's this power within us that can't be contained to share our faith, just to share what we've experienced. There was a guy that Jesus healed of blindness. And um, people asked him all kinds of theological questions. Like, who sinned? Did you sin or did your parents sin in order that you were blind? And he's like, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. I mean, when I was 17, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about Jesus. I just know that on April 17th, 1994, in Habersham County, Georgia, in a crowd of about 400 people, I met Jesus. Where, like Jesus, I encountered the resurrected Jesus. And it, and it happened just like this. I was sitting in a crowd. We'd heard a concert. A guy from the band got up, and he shared the gospel presentation, just like you've heard a million times. And he asked everybody to pray, and bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'd sat through that a million times. And he said, does your heart belong to Jesus? And in my head, I answered, 99.9% belongs to Jesus. And then he said, out loud, 99.9% won't do. Dang it. I knew I was done. And so he said, I'm going to lead you if you want to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come down here on the count of three. And all I know is that on the count of three, like I was having an out-of-body experience, I went down to the front. He led me in a prayer where I gave 100% of my heart to Jesus that night. My life has forever been changed. I, I couldn't tell you theology. I couldn't tell you how Jesus saved me outside of that he died on the cross for my sins. I mean, I still would have a hard time articulating a lot of things of faith. All I know is that when I was 17, my life was changed forever. And there was something that happened that night that I could not contain. And so I just wanted to share that with as many people as possible. And so me and a buddy named Kevin, we'd go to Walmart and we'd share Christ with people at Walmart because they need Jesus. And then we'd go to Waffle House and we'd share Christ with Jesus. Uh, we'd share Jesus with people at Waffle House because they need Jesus even more than people at Walmart. I mean, so like, that's what we would do. That's what we would do. Why? Because we had 
In that encounter with the resurrected Jesus, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is something you cannot contain. And we're empowered to share what we've experienced. The other way that we have the power to be witnesses is to show what we've experienced, to show what we've experienced. If you've been following along with our reading plan, we've been in the book of Acts. And a couple of weeks ago, we read through Acts chapter three. And when I was reading through Acts chapter three in, a, you know, in alignment with our reading plan, like I was blown away by this story in Acts chapter three where Peter and John, they were some of Jesus's original followers. They go to their version of church. It was Jewish church, um, the temple at the hour of prayer, uh, the ninth hour. And a, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Like this was a genius move by a guy who wanted money. He didn't stand at the exit of um, 85 and wait for passersby. He went to a church entrance and asked for money. That's a smart, if you need money, go to the doors of churches, okay? On Sunday morning while people are coming in. You got a lot better chance of getting money there. This is a smart dude. And so he goes and he asks for alms. He's asking for material resources um, to provide for his life. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John. Almost as if, like John and Peter, they're just like, we're going into prayer. We're focused on this. We're not focused on the guy that's asking for money that probably has asked for money a number of times from us. So we're going in, but they asked for something. He fixes his attention on him. And then listen to this. Peter looked directly at him and said, look at us as if this guy, he wasn't even making eye contact with people passing by too. He's like, give me money, give me money, give me money, give me money. So they lock eyes. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Before they shared what they experienced, they showed what they experienced. And they showed what they experienced by giving them what they had received. Listen, if you have received provision by God physically, if you have received provision by God spiritually, we are responsible as witnesses to show what we've experienced by giving away what we have experienced. And it might be different than what people want, but it will be what people need. You can give from what you have to what people need. And it might just be that what you show allows you to share. What you show allows you to share because there are a lot of people out there that are more concerned right now about their basic needs than they are about their spiritual needs. In other words, there are a lot of people out there that don't have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness because they're just hungry and they're thirsty. And so when we fill bags of food and we send them over the next week and a half to, to families in our community, where kids we know don't have a lot of food at their home and they're able to eat Thanksgiving meal, there's gonna be something maybe in them that demonstrates because of a physical need, a desire for some spiritual need that they have and that's to be made right with God. And I believe that when we distribute these bags, there are gonna be some spiritual conversations that happen with people where they start to ask the question, why would somebody else do that for me? And the reason is because God has done that for us. We show before we share. 
We show before we share. Um, at our 915 service, uh, I shared with you that a, woman, a young woman gave her life to Jesus. This was crazy. So I went through the, the message, gave the opportunity for people to respond to the good news of Jesus by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Um, and she, she gave her life to Jesus in that moment. It was independent of this, sort of. But um, last night while I was driving my car, my wrist started hurting. And I even told like Braden about it on the way home from his football game where he won the Gwinnett County Championship. Did I mention that before? Anyway, so, so we're driving and I was like, man, my wrist has been hurting while I've been driving. And, um, and so this morning I woke up and it was still hurting and I was just like, God, I was like, would you just take this pain away? And God didn't take this pain away. And he said, this is not your pain, this is pain for somebody else. And so at the end of our 915 service, I said, hey, if somebody has pain in their wrist right here, I believe that God wants you to come forward and to receive healing or prayer for healing. I believe that God has that for you. So this woman, Samantha, she comes forward after she gave her life to Jesus and she's talking to me and she, we're talking about her giving her life to Jesus and this was awesome. And then she goes, hey, by the way, that thing about the wrist, that was for me. And she pulls back her sleeve and there's a scar about three inches long on her wrist. I said, how did you, um, how did you injure that? And she said, in a car accident. Hand on the steering wheel, pain, it's not for me for her. God had something for her physically, and I believe it was to demonstrate his power so that it would affirm for her the fact that he loved her eternally. He had something for her in an earthly dimension so that it would affirm what he has for her in the spiritual dimension. And listen, we are called to give out of what we have. And so if you're passing by somebody and they're in need and you don't have gold or silver, which I wouldn't expect you to carry around a whole lot of gold and silver, give them what you have. If you're making a meal for yourself, Thanksgiving, make a meal for someone else. If you've received healing by God and you know the power of God fills you, then when you see a lame person, you grab them by the wrist and say, get up. And hopefully they will. You know what I mean? Like you just, you operate. Listen, I am convinced, y'all, listen, that if there would be a generation of believers in this nation who would actually live in alignment with the Holy Spirit, that we would not be able to contain it. And we would be sharing and we would be showing all over the place and people that are outside of the faith would stand in awe and amazement of a group of people who are filled with the power of God. Statistically, we don't do that. But culturally, we do. We love to share what we experience. Some of you already tagged the Vine Church as a place that you visited this morning. Some of you will share what you experienced at church later on. Some of you uh, came up to me without me posting it, but because other people posted it and tagged me, congratulating me on Braden's victory in the championship game. We share things that we've experienced that are transformative, and there is nothing more transformative than the power of God's love that fills us and equips us to be as witnesses. This is what we do culturally. This is not what we do spiritually. And one of the reasons why I think is because it requires us to step out in faith in something that sometimes is a little uncomfortable for us. The word witness, when you go back to its original word in Greek, is literally translated martyr. A martyr is a person who dies for their faith. Now, I'm not asking you to go die for your faith. I believe God might call some of you to go to another nation and maybe you will die for your faith there. And I don't say that lightly. I just believe that. Over the course of time at the vine, there will be people who die for their faith generationally 
in other places of this world. But what I do think is that in order for us to take a hold of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the power that he has for us, it is going to require us to die to ourselves. It is going to require us to sacrifice some pride, sacrifice some fear, even sacrifice maybe some reputation, maybe sacrifice a moment, maybe sacrifice some time. And so I'd ask you this question. If you would say, and you take inventory of your life, that you fit into the 2% of people who share their faith actively or the 98% of people who don't. If you're in that 98%, would you just ask yourself, why? And I don't know why, except I think that it just requires us to die to self, pride and fear. And if you would say you're in that 98%, there's no condemnation and no shame. I just want to invite you to pray a simple prayer. And it's actually a prayer that I pray when there have been dormant seasons of me actively one-on-one personally sharing my faith with other people. Not platform, but personally. And it is, God, would you give me opportunities to share my faith with other people? And then secondly, God, would you give me the boldness and the power to step into those opportunities? If you're in the 98 percentile of people who don't share their faith, would you just pray those two prayers with me? God, would you give me opportunities? And would you give me the boldness and the power to step into them? You might have to die to yourself a little in the process. But God will do what God does when we're faithful to doing what he has called us to do. To, to help, I want to give you two things, two resources, and two opportunities. If we pray that prayer, here's two that are available. The first one is coming up. In two weeks, we're going to begin a brand new series. December the 2nd, we're starting a series called Sensational Christmas. And it's all about how Christmas is about us experiencing God personally and firsthand. And we're taking a cool look about how we experience him through our five senses. It's gonna be one of probably my favorite um, message series that we've worked on and that we're gonna be doing, especially at Christmas time. I'm super excited about that. What, what I'm more excited about is that at Christmas time, more people are open to spiritual conversations and an invitation to church than any other time of the year, including Easter. And so in two weeks, you're gonna be getting an invite card and we wanna invite you to begin praying now about who you will give that invite card to. And we believe not only will it be an opportunity for you to invite them to church, but really to be an invitation to start spiritual conversation where you can share what you've experienced. In two weeks, we'll also have another opportunity. December 1st, we'll have an opportunity for you to serve the community through Serve Saturday Outreach event. This is an opportunity for you to show what you've experienced in a way that will probably start a conversation where the person says, why would you do this? And you can say, we're doing it because God's love is free and we wanted you to know that. If you'll pray that prayer, God, give me the opportunities and God, give me the boldness and the opportunities. I know God will answer that because that's a prayer that he wants to pray because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. Stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. And breathe on me. Come reveal 
Sir, a passion. So, sir, a passion 